This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. Okay, welcome back to Sportsbook. Let's talk about gambling. It has been just over two weeks since the Supreme Court gave a ruling in the New Jersey sports betting case, and the ruling was in favor of New Jersey. I think the news might have come as a surprise to the average reader if they weren't following this story closely. It did not come as much of a surprise to many of the insidery people who have been tracking this and expecting this, and in many cases, I think, hoping for this result. What it means in the immediate future is that states on an individual state-by-state basis can move to legalize sports betting in their state, New Jersey first, and I think we expect Delaware to also move immediately. A couple other states have kind of done things in the recent past to prepare for this. They will move quickly. Those include Pennsylvania, Connecticut, New York. Others might be more slow to move and others might never do it. So it will be a state-by-state landscape which, there is some nuance here, is not really the result that the major pro sports leagues were hoping for. Uh, That's kind of the interesting part of this to me, although there are many different tentacles of the impact of this Supreme Court ruling. Uh, The leagues had actually been against New Jersey in this, mostly because they would like to see a simple federal legalization. Uh, And that's the big distinction. You know, when I hear friends and Uh, I guess people not in the media talking about this story. The biggest misconception I keep hearing is, okay, open season, uh, gambling is now legal everywhere. No, that isn't the case. It is still not legal at a federal level. It simply means now that states have the option to try to legalize it in their own state. But let's delve into this further. Uh, I mentioned the many tentacles. One other interesting part of this is the effect instant effect it has had on daily fantasy sports companies like DraftKings and FanDuel. We've had the CEOs of both of those companies on this podcast in the past. So let's get into all this with our guest today, Dustin Gauker. He is the managing editor of a great website, useful resource for me and for you, called LegalSportsReport.com. Hey, Dustin. Hey, thanks for having me on, Dan. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, Well, let's do this first. I want to get into fantasy, but as I was saying, I think that Uh, People who maybe haven't followed this story as closely as you and I have, and uh, as closely as we've had to (laughs) for so long, uh, may kind of not understand some of the nuance here. Give me kind of what you expect to happen in the next six months in terms of instant change, states that will start offering betting operations, and uh, how you expect the leagues to deal with this state-by-state landscape, which, as I mentioned, not what they were hoping to have to deal with. Yeah, the the news has been fast and furious, like you said, since the in the two weeks since we've uh, seen the the Supreme Court ruling, and yeah, the states you mentioned are the ones that are going to move fastest. Delaware and New Jersey both appear like they'll have um, sports betting up and running as soon as uh, sometime in early or mid June, so a couple weeks from uh, now, or even shorter than that possibly. And then we have uh, a bunch of states who have passed placeholder laws expecting the Supreme Court decision. We had at least, they said Pennsylvania passed a law in 2017. They actually just had a meeting of their gaming regulators today where they're starting to work on, they're uh, putting out regulations related to sports betting. Uh, you have West Virginia passed a law earlier this year that uh, they should be up and running with, with sports wagering before the NFL season. Uh, and then you also have um, Mississippi, which uh, is working on regulations much like Pennsylvania is. So those, those are the ones we're going to see really fast. We're also going to see, you know, we've seen pushes in other uh, legislatures around the country trying to, like, now catch up now that this is a reality that you can, that they can legalize wagering. They're starting mm-hmm. to work on that. Um, but we're uh, we're over the summer. We're in election year, so a little tough to get a whole lot done right now. So it might some of that might be pushed more into 2019, but it's going to be a, a huge topic moving forward, uh, not just this year, but in future years. 
there was a topic as part of all this that I hit last week in a story, and I was able to get your take for that story. I hope our listeners will go check it out on Yahoo Finance. Uh, looking at the integrity fees, the idea that the NBA, which came out first and I think was first to mention this, Major League Baseball quickly followed suit because MLB has, in most of this betting stuff, I think, uh, been in tandem with the NBA. Uh, both of those leagues have said that in states that legalize this, they will ask for a 1% integrity fee on legal bets placed on their games. The idea being we should get a cut here, you're betting on our games. Uh, now, the NFL has taken a kind of different tack and isn't talking about integrity fees. Uh, can you get into some of this for us? Yeah, so, yeah, like you said, NBA, Major League Baseball, and now PGA Tour have all said that they uh, would like a, a cut of a cut of all wagers. Like, every every dollar, every $100 wagered, they would get a dollar of that. Actually, it's been revised down to a quarter percent some places, so mm. uh, it would be it would be a, qu- a quarter out of every uh, every $100. But it's still a lot of money if you if you think about sports betting possibly being legalized in dozens of states down the road. So, but yes, the NFL has definitely said, like, they kind of, uh, they have not been a part of this lobbying effort. They've been, uh, the those previously mentioned leagues have been on a state-by-state lobbying effort trying to get provisions in these sports betting laws that they'd like to see. Uh, NFL is like, we're, we're not getting into the state-level stuff. We're not. We're going to try through Congress. And, yeah, they haven't specifically mentioned this integrity fee that they need to get money out of sports betting. Um, I think it's a problematic thing for leagues to be getting a direct cut of wagering. I think it's uh, both from an optics and from a logistical standpoint. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting that NFL is kind of, you know, diverging a little bit from what the the other leagues who are who are quicker to move on this have been saying. Yeah, I think you were right to mention when I talked to you for this story last week, the optics here. Uh, what do you hear when you talk to people, sources I know that you're always chatting with about kind of the perception, especially I think this term integrity fee, and I notice it in our reader comments. I, I always violate the rule of don't read the comments. A lot, of, a lot of the comments from readers, they say, oh, you know, integrity fee my ass. You know, it's sort of the opposite of integrity. Like, oh, we want to protect the integrity while you're gambling, so we want some of the money. But uh, is there some reason, is there any reason you hear from people, any good argument for why it's wrong to roll your eyes at that? It's fair of them to, to do these integrity fees? No, I think it's it's an interesting thing. It kind of became this animal where it popped up in in one specific state bill as a, as an integrity fee, integrity fee, quote unquote. And I think the the leagues kind of lost control of the narrative. They were trying to move so quickly on lobbying that we saw this this integrity term being linked to the money, which is not really what they want to do. They want the money because they say, oh, we have we're you're making money off of our games that are being played. You should pay us for that. They really want it to be a rights fee or a royalty instead of an integrity fee. They don't want necessarily have the money linked to just integrity they want the money they want the money don't get me wrong but they don't want it to be linked to integrity they want they they'll they say yes there's increased costs with integrity um and and then certainly there are it's not i don't think it's anywhere near the amount that they're asking for um because they already do a plenty of uh, spend a plenty of money on integrity monitoring but it's yeah it's uh it's more it is really an optics question like we said it's it's so much about like okay you're getting money for integrity so shouldn't your games be called officiated exactly correctly or shouldn't they we we should have no problem like we should not have missed calls we should just right. it's, a, it's an interesting it's an interesting problem to have if you're saying give us money to guarantee integrity then you're then you're aren't you kind of on the hook for saying hey we need to everything should be perfect when you're you're running your games now so right. i don't i don't know if they want that it reminds me a little bit in the you know in mob movies and mob shows or you know the sopranos it's like the guys would come and they'd say uh, you know, give us money and we'll protect you from being hurt by these other people that, you know, usually they know and are with. And so it's like the bully saying, no, I'll protect you. 
you know, but if you don't pay me, then I'll bully you. <laughs> it's 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 interesting. I've actually I've actually thought about it as a protection racket. It's like they're they're basically asking for this stuff, and they'll say they if they if they don't get what they want, they're going to oppose oppose legislation basically. And that's what they did. That's what they did in West Virginia. They didn't get exactly what they want. They tried to stop the legislation from happening at all. And, and to some extent, yeah, it is. I mean, it's a, it's a little extreme to, to to compare it to the mob. But they're saying we don't get what we want. We're going to stop you from getting what you want. So right. uh, it, it is an interesting uh, dynamic for sure. Yeah, a lot of threats going on both overt yeah. and, and veiled. Uh, when we talk about optics, if we transition here, great example of optics and public narratives changing is what has happened in the daily fantasy space, uh, DFS. You know, these two companies that are the biggest players in this type of fantasy sports, DraftKings and FanDuel, spent the better part of two years arguing, we are not betting operators, our contests do not constitute gambling. But now that uh, the Supreme Court has given this ruling, they were very quick, uh, both in terms of statements and then DraftKings actually set up billboards in New Jersey to say, all right, the DraftKings sportsbook operations are coming. Hooray, we're, we're going to bet. You know, I, I remember it was already years ago, but I uh, profiled the CEO of DraftKings, Jason Robbins, when I was at Fortune, and the language we used on the cover, his photo was on the cover of the magazine, and the language we used in big, bold writing was, bet big. And even that subtle little thing, they didn't like that at the time. It was like, well, did you have to say bet? And now here we are. And they're saying, all right, betting, woohoo. Uh, tell me why sort of that isn't disingenuous. I mean, we know it was inevitable, but people kind of roll their eyes. But is this, do you kind of buy their argument of, look, we just, that was the case before and, and we weren't violating law, but now that the law is changing, we're going to change and offer new products. Yeah, I mean that's what they're going to sell for sure. I mean they've they've spent the better part of like you said the last few years uh, getting uh, almost a couple dozen laws on the books regarding daily fantasy sports, specifically saying it's a game of skill. And yeah, they're going to say, okay, that's this one product. Sports betting is going to be over here. It's another product. I mean, it uh, whether you buy that and whether it's a great great thing to do, having two like two things that are arguably skill based gambling products. Um, you know, I whether, no matter what the law calls DFS, I I believe it's it's a game. It's a gambling product. It's it takes a lot of skill to be successful at it but it's when you're playing you're gambling but but yes that's the, that's what they're going to sell they're going to say hey this is over here dfs is over there it's okay um and, and in reality it's a it's a product that you know the dfs product definitely correlates well with sports betters it's people who are watching sports who want to have monetary interest on it so it's it's definitely something that makes sense for them to pivot to uh for both DraftKings and FanDuel. Yeah, I, I'm, I like that term you're using of skill-based gambling. I always thought it was strange that there has to be a distinction of it's either, oh, it's a game of skill or it's gambling. I mean, why can't it doesn't, we both? It absolutely doesn't have to be. It's, it, right. I mean, that's, it's, it's only because of the legality and what we've uh, you know seen. The existing laws at state say, say certain things are skill-based gaming, certain things are gambling. So that, that's why we've had this rhetoric over the last two, well, rhetoric, and it's, it's, a le it's a legal reasons for it. But yes, I think most rational people can, can, can see that it's skill-based gaming, right. the gambling. Okay. Yeah, it's possible that it requires some skill of doing your homework and doing your research and getting good at it. But also at the end of the day, you're still choosing a lineup of human players and you can't have any control of how they perform in the game. So it's like, how can you say there's no chance involved, you know? Yeah, so that people, was people, get, people get injured, people, games get rained out all the time. There's there's a lot of variables that you can't account for just with you know being skillful at it. So Right. Now, I mentioned uh, DraftKings quick to set up billboards and say, we're setting up shop in New Jersey, we'll open a sportsbook. I'm sure they'll, op they'll open sportsbook-type operations in all the other states that legalize. On the other hand, FanDuel, in light of this news, uh, announced that it had sold. Uh, sold its U.S. business to Paddy Power Betfair. Paddy Power, the Irish um, sportsbook, I guess, or, or 
bookmaker is the term people use. Of course, you know, you go to Ireland, you go to parts of Europe, there's Paddy Powers and William Hill locations on every corner, uh, but not something we see in the U.S. What was your kind of initial immediate take on the FanDuel acquisition? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, European bookmakers and gaming companies are looking to gain a foothold in the United States. And Patty Power Betfair has already been kind of aggressive on that front. They own um, another daily fantasy site called Draft. They own uh, a horse betting uh, site uh, called TVG, where you can place wagers on a Kentucky Derby and whatever else you want. And they acquired FanDuel as a way to acquire more customers in the United States as we as we roll out sports betting in different states. So it was it's really a way to you know just further solidify what they want to do in the future. They already run, uh, they already have other, and they also have a New Jersey online casino bet fair uh, where you can mm. legally gamble in New Jersey. So it's a uh, I mean, they have a, they have a, they already have kind of an in into the U.S. market. This, you know, this gives them a brand that's really well known. Um, obviously, maybe not quite as well known as DraftKings at this point, but it's still a, a valuable brand that, you know, there's already a lot of people using it. I think they said 1.3 million uh, active users at FanDuel uh, that they can instantly try to engage for sports betting and a larger database of players who, you know, have signed up for FanDuel but haven't actually haven't played recently. So it's a it's a valuable move. I think it's an interesting move and it definitely is definitely a part of what you're going to see with with your European companies and gaming companies trying to gain footholds in the United States as, as sports betting becomes widely legalized. When I saw the news of the FanDuel sale, and you know, I think a lot of us who cover these companies closely knew that eventually FanDuel would have to sell. You know, after the attempted merger with DraftKings was called off, you know, there was a big fundraise during the time when they were going to merge, and then you heard, okay, all that money is going to DraftKings. You know, sorry guys, you're on your own now. So I think it was clear that, that FanDuel needed either a big infusion of capital when they didn't have a big fundraise for months and months and months. It was clear they were going to sell. So from one perspective, you say, well, this is the, you know, ribbon on the, you know, the, the bow on the gift of, okay, it's final, it's clear, DraftKings won, in a sense. You know, these two companies were rivals, they were neck and neck, but DraftKings, which ironically came along three or four years later than FanDuel, really surpassed it, became the bigger brand, and beat FanDuel, fine. But from a different perspective, well, wait a minute, now that Patty Power has bought FanDuel, instantly you have a new competitor that could be very intimidating to DraftKings. Absolutely. I mean, now FanDuel is going to be backed with with cash from a, a larger company. Um, I mean, whether that's actually deployed on the DFS product, I don't know. I mean, this could this is we don't exactly know how this is going to be rolled out as uh, in U.S. and in sports betting. There's a lot of answers to a lot of questions to be answered about how DraftKings and FanDuel function as sportsbook as and in regulated markets and and if they and indeed if they can. I mean, DraftKings says it's going to be in New Jersey. We don't know. They need a land-based casino partner to do that, and they also need a platform to offer sports betting. They have neither publicly right now i mean I, I know that they're working on it but it's a, there's a lot of questions about yeah what goes forward but yes DraftKings, i think looks now looks at fanduel as like oh they they now have something going on and uh and i think to your point DraftKings is also still looking for an exit an exit we've heard ceo jason robbins talk about an ipo even after uh, a possible ipo even after the paspa decision um, so, yeah, I, it, there, it's a new world for sure. It wasn't, uh, I mean, we probably would have gone into football season seeing DraftKings just beating up on FanDuel again and, right. and possibly widening their market share, but now that's a, a different, different, different scenario for sure. Right, now they turn their attention to this other player and also to this other market. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned, you know, we don't necessarily know how much investment new owner Patty Power will put into DFS. You know, they might really strongly pivot FanDuel to mostly a betting platform. Uh, it depends, I think, how quickly states react. But uh, but along those lines, I, I saw a tweet that basically said about the FanDuel acquisition, you know, this shows that 
it isn't going to be the DFS companies that that to watch from now on. You know, it's sort of like they're instantly going to become less relevant, and the companies that are going to be relevant are these overseas betting companies that will now come in and and set up shop in the U.S. immediately. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like, you know, okay, what what all this news actually means is that forget DraftKings and FanDuel. You know, FanDuel sold, maybe DraftKings sells now instead of going public. Maybe the possibility of a big, hot DraftKings IPO is kind of diminished. Instead, they just sell to maybe a casino or some other kind of company like a Patty Pal. Yeah, I mean, it's good. it's a land grab right now. You want to get in right right now. I mean, there's companies that, like I said, like PPB is one of them. Um, and, you know, uh, William Hill is uh, already offers betting, sports betting in Nevada and Delaware. They have contracts in other places. This is a, another uh, it's a UK bookmaker that's got a strong presence in the United States already. It's going to get stronger. Um, yeah, but DraftKings, uh, you know, is selling that it's going to be a sports book, and we, like I said, I don't we don't know how that's going to happen. We, I, I just looked at their careers page; they're hiring uh, more than a dozen people just for the, their sports betting operation in New Jersey, um, that obviously doesn't quite exist yet. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, everything is moving so fast. We don't we yeah. have uh, we're gonna have so we're gonna have so many states and so many different you know ways to get into the market. There's uh, you go everything from New Jersey where there's nine casinos and two tracks can offer it to a place like. Uh, Delaware, where it's basically run by the lottery. So it's uh, people are just now wrapping their heads around. Okay, this is here now. How do we get in? And it's a it's a it's a question that you know DFS sites have to uh, to answer as well. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Uh, a good place to wrap up, I think. You and I know each other because we've covered these companies and the DFS business for a few years now, so closely. Looking back now, especially with the SCOTUS decision, and now we're looking at you know FanDuel sells. Is it sort of, I mean, I think especially someone like Jason Robbins and other people in this world, they would argue, oh, now we're at the beginning. This is just the beginning for DFS. But on the other hand, in some ways, it sort of feels like an ending. Uh, When you look back now at the last few years, how do you feel about sort of the hyped promise of daily fantasy sports as a market? I mean, originally these companies were saying, hey, daily fantasy can be even bigger than traditional season-long fantasy football is. I feel like already that's sort of been proven that um, that really isn't the case and that the interest level just isn't there. What is the future for daily fantasy sports? I mean, I think it's still going to exist. It's not going to go away. It's it's a popular enough product, but I think we've we've kind of seen it reach its ceiling and we over the last two years there's been like incremental growth but it hasn't just yeah it never met the projections of what it was going to do part of that's you know dealing with legal concerns dealing with lobbying for state laws becoming regulated companies these were things they had to focus on instead of growing you know is there is there a path forward with with the money from patty power betfair or an ipo to to again grow dfs that's at least possible and in a world where we have legal sports betting and dfs is a complementary product can dfs grow again and and see that these are these are possible things but I, I think, yeah, we've, we've, the DFS product we say is is really young. It is in some ways, but it's also it's also kind of mature in that like a lot of people know what these things are. It hasn't resulted in a, an absolute groundswell of people playing these games. Like you said, not nowhere near the the reach of of season long fantasy. So, yeah, I don't know if it's an end, but we're uh, it's uh, it's definitely a plateau point where you know where I don't think we're going to see either you know, it drop off a cliff or necessarily see incremental, see explosive growth again. I think we're, it's a product that can exist and continue to be, uh, to grow, but not at some kind of explosive rate. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think a lot of the fascination for two years was just because of the exciting, wild legal drama that was playing out, plus the flood of TV ads, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the, I mean, you, you like, if you watch sports in 2015, you you saw DraftKings and FanDuel ads. You right. you knew what these companies were. So yeah, it's and that's why that's once again why they're valuable brands moving forward in a sports betting market possibly because you you, you hear DraftKings or FanDuel, you watch and you, you you at least know what these names are if you watch sports. Whether you trust them to you know put your sports betting dollars, that's a that's a question that remains to be seen. Right, and I think in a year. Uh, the next version of those early DraftKings FanDuel ads might be ads for uh, sports betting operations in states that have legalized, you know, so. Yeah, 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 no doubt. (laughs) Buckle up. All right, thank you, Dustin. Great stuff, and uh, we'll look to talk to you again. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Okay, that was Dustin Galker. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter, great account. He's at Dustin Galker. It's G-O-U-K-E-R, and the website is LegalSportsReport.com. Uh, We want to hear from you. Are you pumped about the esports betting decision? Did you not quite understand, and now you do, that it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be able to legally place bets on sports in your state in the next year? It might take a while, state by state. Uh, We have more for you at yahoofinance.com, different coverage of what it means for the pro leagues and all that good stuff. So let us know. uh, Are you betting already illegally with a bookie? And will you now do it legally? Lots of good questions to be asked and answered, and we'll be following it closely. As always, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the Sportsbook Podcast. And we continue to come out on Thursday mornings, so we'll see you next week. Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye.